Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Tuesday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. Uh, We're going through a study today, and we went through the first part yesterday, and we're calling it Four Proofs of Repentance. And I'm so glad that you're joining us today. And I think this is a very timely uh, subject. And it's a subject that I think many churches actually don't spend a whole lot of time talking about. But it is vitally important. Now listen, if you want to be all that God wants you to be, you must be on the same page as He is. Uh, Somebody said that repentance is best defined as me lining up my life with where God wants it to be. In other words, I look at my life and I see the areas of my life that are not in sync with the will of God. I confess that sin, that is a changing of my mind about my sin, and then I realign myself with the will of God. Throughout the Bible, over a thousand times, we talk about this subject of repentance. Oftentimes not using that word repentance, sometimes using that word turn or return to the Lord. But this concept is found throughout Scripture. And so I want to encourage you today to go through these four proofs of your life today. Spend just a moment. Uh, We began yesterday talking about that first step. And the very first step is I must acknowledge my guilt. I admit it. I messed up. Now, this is probably the hardest step, right? Because we're so filled with pride. And uh, and pride is that, that word that has that middle letter I. And the middle letter I will get in our way every single time. The middle letter in the word sin is I. Whenever I gets in the middle of me, I am in a whole lot of trouble. So acknowledge your sin. Go ahead and confess it to the Lord. Spend just a moment and says, Lord, I have messed up big time. And I'm not afraid to acknowledge that I've messed up. And I'm going to come before you like David did and say, Lord, have mercy on me. And that mercy is based upon God's unfailing love. It is according to his great compassion. So I want to encourage you today to be one who is very quick to acknowledge your sin. As a matter of fact, the sooner you repent, the quicker you can have victory. Yeah, the sooner you repent, the quicker you can have that guilt removed. So acknowledge that sin. Letter B is that we believe God's mercy. You see, true repentance apprehends or takes hold of God's mercy. That's why David says it's according to his unfailing love, according to his mercy. Now, the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations were both written by Jeremiah. Jeremiah, in the midst of writing that book of Lamentations, found hope. And I love this. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. Jeremiah says, you know, it's because of the loving devotion of the Lord. And because of this loving devotion, we are not consumed. Why are we not consumed? Because his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then he says in verse 24, Lamentations chapter 3, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. I love that little phrase, I will hope in him because his mercies are new every morning. His mercies never come to an end. Now, the English word there, new, is actually the Hebrew word haras. It means never before experienced. So today's mercy is different from yesterday's mercy. As you think about that mercy being new every morning, God's mercy changes from day to day. In other words, he knows that strand of mercy that I need today. Why? 
Why does this work this way? Because you didn't need that mercy yesterday for the sin that you committed today. That's why you need a new mercy for today. Now, try this little exercise, and I think this will help you out. When you think about how old you are, right? I want you to think about your age, not in years, but in days. So the sum total of different kinds of mercy we have received from life to today's date. Now, by the time you are 21, you have experienced 7,665 unique mercies. When you hit midlife, you're up to that number of 14,600 days. Uh, By the time you hit your retirement age, you have experienced God's mercy 23,725 times. Now, as of the time of this recording of this broadcast, I have been alive for 20,674 days. You know, you're never going to be overwhelmed with grace until you are first overwhelmed by your sin and then totally blown away by God's mercy. That's kind of how it rolls, right? And so here we learn that God's mercies are new every day. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that God has given you a new mercy for this new day? You know, on next week's broadcast, I'm going to be talking to you about heaven. And one of the things I've noticed as I've studied about heaven is everything in heaven is new. There's no old things in heaven. There's a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth were destroyed, and God creates a new heaven. And uh, we get a new body when we go to heaven. Uh, we'll be walking on new streets of gold. And, uh, and it's amazing when you think about the newness of heaven. Nothing old, nothing broken down. And uh, you think about newness, right? Uh, you love when you get something new. I, I recently bought a new van, and I've only had it for a couple weeks. But you know what? The newness is already wearing off. Man, I was cruising on Interstate 64, and a truck sprung a, a rock from under its tire, hit my windshield. My brand new car has got a, a windshield that's cracked out. That's all great. So much for the new vehicle, right? Uh, But, you know, when you go to heaven, everything's going to be new and will be staying new because there's no sin in heaven. Sin causes things to break down. Sin causes things to decompose. And you know this if you got any age on you, right? And uh, sin causes you to lose your hair. And then at first it goes gray, then it goes loose. And and you lose your hair, you lose your mind, you lose your teeth. and, uh, And the things in your life that don't work don't cause any pain, but they don't work, right? All because of sin. We are constantly breaking down because of sin. But I want you to know God's mercies are new every day. I am blown away by God's grace and his mercy. Every day you wake up, it's a new opportunity for you to receive God's mercy. What we've talked about repentance and the process that we go through. Step number one, I am aware of my sin. I acknowledge my sin. Step number two, letter B, is I believe that God is filled with mercy and I'm going to receive that mercy. Letter C, I change my direction. You see, true repentance means a change of attitude, a change of action regarding my sin. You see, hatred of sin turns to repentance And that repentance turns from leaving that sin, leaving that sin behind. You know, I love the book of Job. And every time I start feeling bad for myself, I just read the book of Job and I said, man, I've got it made in the shade. Now, Job was one of these guys that had these friends that came along and they weren't very good friends. I mean, they were good friends when they didn't speak, but then they started speaking and Job's friends gave him some really bad counsel, but not everything they said was false. Now, there's one little phrase that they got right. It's just that they used it in the wrong context in speaking with Job. One of Job's friends said to Job in Job 34, verse 33, should God reward you on your terms when you refuse to repent? 
Now, this friend was saying of Job, you know why you're having all these troubles, Job, is because there must be this hidden sin in your life, right? And, and you're thinking you can keep on going, and, and God will overlook that sin. In other words, you think that God's going to deal with you on your terms, and, and now God deals with you on his terms. So go ahead and repent. But because you refuse to repent, you're not getting God's mercy. Now, although that was false, part of that is true. I want you to know a change in direction is a radical direction change. In Acts chapter 26, we see that the gospel is turning the people around. And it's being preached that they should repent, they should turn to God, and they should demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. In other words, an evidence of their repentance was a change in their deeds. Their deeds did not promise or give them that repentance. It was a result of that repentance. In Jeremiah 34, 15, it says, Recently you repented, and you did what was right in my sight. Each of you proclaimed freedom to your own people. You even made a covenant before me in my house that bears my name. In other words, there were some marked differences in their lives because they repented. You know, in heaven, Jesus said that there's more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Oh, I want you to know, if you're feeling like God is kind of slow in in helping you to make the change that you need in your life and and that he's kind of delaying and he's promised that he's going to come back, but he hadn't come back yet, I want you to know that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. That's how some people look at it. Some understand that, that God is, or think that God is being very slow in writing things that are wrong, but God really is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Has it ever occurred to you that the reason God may be moving a little bit slow, according to your timetable, is because he's being patient with you? He's not allowing you to get away with the wrong that you're living in. He's just being patient, hoping that his kindness will drive you to repentance. And when you have come to that point of repentance, then you will change your direction. So proofs of of our repentance is we acknowledge the fact that we have messed up. We believe that God will be merciful to us. We change our direction in letter D. Don't forget this. Letter D is determine to strive for holiness. You see, true repentance results in a radical and a persistent pursuit of holy living, walking with God in obedience to His commands. Now, there's several passages that we could look at, but I like what Isaiah said about this whole determined to strive for holiness. Isaiah says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest in your salvation and quietness and trust in your strength, but you would have none of it. Here we discover that they made the initial understanding that they were going to be set free. They rested in their salvation, but then they didn't follow through. In other words, they they started out right. They acknowledged their sin. They believed in God's mercy. They made some changes in direction, but they would have none of it because they would not follow through. And what happened? They were trusting in their own strength. Listen, the God who acknowledges you and you acknowledge your sin, that same God is the one that's going to empower you to have victory over your sin. 
You know, there's a Puritan pastor and a writer by the name of Thomas Watson. And this is what he wrote. He says, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. In other words, the Israelites, they loved to hear the fact that they were forgiven and that God had promised them salvation, but they didn't have a bitterness toward their sin. So Christ could not be sweet to them. You know, if we come to God with a heart, understand that we will not be despised, that he will accept us and accept us he does, then we are driven and determined to be living a holy life. We are told that we are to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And we look at this fruit in keeping in repentance. This is a long-term obedience in the right direction. Throughout Scripture, we see this happening over and over and over again. Let me just read you a couple verses that talk about it. Luke 3.8, produce fruit in keeping repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God will raise up children for Abraham. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the nation of Israel saying, well, you know, we're born again. We're of that blessed seed of Abraham, and they were resting on that on their past, on their ancestry. You know, many times we do the same thing. We'll say, hey, I was raised in the church. I was born in the church. I've been going to the church. And you, you tend to rest on your laurels. And Jesus says, you know what? If you don't praise me, if you don't follow me in holiness, these stones will start raising up and they will start praising me. We also see this whole theme of repentance found in Luke chapter 17. When Jesus says, if your brother or your sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. This is an act of holiness that you're able to constantly forgive somebody, even if they come to you in seven times in one day. You see, that's a mark of a person that has tapped into the repentance of God and is living a holy life. When we think about repentance, there's an article that was written, and it was entitled, Whatever Became of Repentance? This article was found in Christianity Today, and the writer talks about this subject of something that happened 504 years ago. Just over 504 years ago, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther posted 95 theses on the castle door in Wittenberg. Now, these theses were called the Disputation on the Power of Indulgences. And it was there on the All Saints Church door. And the professor of moral theology at the University of Wittenberg was proposing a debate about indulgences. Now, indulgences is basically the practice of of doing good works or offering money in order to remove the punishment for our sins. Now, Martin Luther was so moved as he began studying this subject of indulgences. And he says, you know, this concept of paying for our sins, giving money to the church to be granted forgiveness, I don't find that in Scripture. He was disturbed by how many indulgences uh, people were giving, how, how the church was encouraging them to try to pay for their sins. And he says they were trying to pay for their sins rather than repenting of their sin. Luther argued, our Lord and our Master Jesus Christ, when he said repent, will that the whole life of believers should be repentance. 
Now that is hard to swallow today. It's just as hard today as it was back then. We are not the first to notice how absence the theme of repentance is today. Carl Menninger, in his 1988 best-selling book, Whatever Happened to Sin, could have easily included a sequel entitled Whatever Became of Repentance. You see, repentance is unpopular because we're so addicted to justifying our own actions and pointing out the evil in others. You see, if I really looked at my own self-centeredness and my own pride, I'd have to admit that I am also a hypocrite and I'm filled with moral failure. As so, manager concludes, well, yes, aren't we all? That's precisely why Jesus came, to save the world from itself and to save us from ourselves. That's why the word repentance is usually connected to the word or the phrase good news. You see, Mark highlights this in his summary of Jesus's early preaching, where Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Now, that's some really good news today is the fact that when we repent, we begin this wonderful journey and we acknowledge our sin. We believe in God's mercy. We have a change in the direction of our lives. And we have this opportunity to be determined to live a life of holiness, a life that is set apart from sin, a life that God can use to the fullest. Oh, I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with a sin in your life, would you spend just a moment repenting of that sin? Ask the Lord to even point out to you the hidden areas of your life. You know, as I think about the prodigal son, nobody went after that prodigal. Jesus gives us three parables in Luke chapter 15. One of the parables was about a shepherd, and he had a hundred sheep, and one of those sheep wandered off, and so the shepherd left the 99 sheep behind and went after that lost sheep. And then Jesus transitions to another parable in that same chapter of Luke chapter 15, and he says there's a a woman, and she had 10 coins. Uh, They were valuable coins, but one day she lost one of those coins, and so she searched diligently for that one coin. And then we come to the story of the prodigal son. We discover that this dad had two sons. One left and lived a life of, uh, of waste and, and, and a life of riotous living, and he lost everything. The other son stayed there. But it's interesting that nobody went after the prodigal son. That older brother should have gone after that prodigal, but he refused. He didn't go after him because he was kind of glad that he left. I'm glad that guy left because... He was always causing trouble around here anyway. We're better off without him. He shirked his responsibility. He tried to pass himself off as the beloved son who never left you and and constantly slaved for you. Although he didn't physically leave, his heart was not with the father. As we see the son, the prodigal son coming home and the party being thrown for the prodigal son, we see the true colors of that older brother come out. The father says, should we not have rejoiced? Uh, this, my son, was lost, but now he's found. He was, he was dead, but now he is alive. As Jesus was giving those parables, he wasn't really talking to the prodigals. He knew what the prodigals were going to do. He knew they were going to repent. He was talking to the older brother. We learn in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, that sinners had gathered around to hear Jesus speak, and and that kind of caught the attention of the Pharisees and the scribes, and they began to follow Jesus. 
The sinners were following Jesus because they wanted to hear the story of the gospel. However, the Pharisees and the scribes were looking at an opportunity to trip up Jesus, looking at an opportunity to find something wrong with him. Jesus knows exactly who is in the crowd. As he gives that first parable, I'm sure the Pharisees were like, that's great. That one sheep is rescued. And they looked at themselves as a Pharisee. They went out and they rescued that one sheep. And then then the parable of the coin, uh, they looked at themselves like that woman searching diligently, found that one coin, and they're beginning to pat themselves on the back. And then Jesus comes to the story of the prodigal son. And they're thinking, as the dad goes out to the older brother, they're thinking the the dad's going to say, you're right, that brother of yours, that son of mine, he was a scoundrel, but you are my wonderful son. Why don't you come in and join the party? And we'll include you in this celebration too, because you never left us. You were the good old boy in the family. That's what they expected to happen. But Jesus turns the table on them. As we think about religion, you know, I think so many people are caught up in religion. I I wonder how many people have left the church, not because they ran into the prodigal at the church, but because they ran into that older brother the judgmental older brother who was really separated from the father. He was outside looking in, refused to come in. He avoided that relationship with his dad, avoided that relationship and being reconciled with his brother. He refused to go in and his righteousness, his self-righteousness was keeping him from having a relationship with the father. He was critical. He was judgmental. He was cynical. He refused to go in. You know, as you listen to this broadcast, I would imagine that most people listening to this broadcast have been born again. They've experienced a new birth, that they've experienced what it's been like to be set free, and maybe you've been serving the Lord for a long time, and you're looking down at this prodigal and say, I'd never live like that, I'd never do something like that, and you're looking down at people, uh, and you've you're, you're got this holier-than-thou spirit, I want you to know you need repentance, too. And it's not just the prodigal that needs to repent. It is the self-righteous one who on the outside appears to have it all together. But in the inside, his heart is really far from God. Oh, today, if you will acknowledge your sin, uh, that sin of pride, that sin of self-righteousness, if you will believe and tap into God's mercy, he will forgive you. And I know it is so difficult. It's, It's hard for somebody who is self-righteous to acknowledge the fact that they need God's mercy. But if you believe in God's mercy, he'll extend it to you. And then you can have that whole change in your direction. You will look at people from a whole new perspective. You'll no longer look at people through the eyes of your self-righteousness, but you will look at people through the eyes of Christ. You realize that Jesus came to die for the world, that whoever would call upon him shall be saved. Whether that be the self-righteous one or whether that be the one who is is completely separated from God and has made a total mess of his life, God's grace is available. It is only by living this kind of life that you can live a life of holiness. You know, I think about why does God keep us here in this world after we're born again? The reason he does that is so that we can share the good news wherever we can go. I think there's two primary reasons why God keeps us on the earth after we get saved. Number one is to share the gospel wherever we go. 
We become a mouthpiece for God. We become the great tool of witnessing to others what Christ has done for us. But there's another thing that God does. He works in us what is called sanctification. He works this process of making us conform to be more like Him. We are going to be more like Christ as we surrender to Him. You know, three major things happen to us at the point of salvation. Number one, we are justified. God declares us as innocent, not because we no longer sin. He declares us innocent because Christ has paid for our sins, past, present, and future. The second thing that happens to us is that we go through this process of holiness or sanctification. And now this is a doctrine that is progressive in nature. As we walk with Christ, we become more like Him. Unfortunately, life happens, right? And sometimes it seems like we take a step forward and we take a half a step back. But God's mercies are new every morning. And as we confess our sins, we continue on this journey of sanctification. And there's one final thing that is promised to us at salvation. We've talked about justification. We've talked about sanctification. Also, we are glorified. We will have a glorified body. One day in heaven, we'll have a brand new body. The old will be done away with. All things will become new. So listen, my friend. Would you confess your sins? Would you cry out to God in mercy? Would you be determined to head in a new direction? And if I can help you on this journey, feel free to give me a call, 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the broadcast today. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.